0: The Gospel according to St. Luke, the 22nd chapter, and we're going to just read two verses. Two verses tonight. And if you're there, please say Amen. 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 Do we need to turn one of these mics off or something? That noise. Amen. We're going to begin again reading at verse number 31. And verse number 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, Simon, strengthen your brethren. Let me read that again. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, Strengthen your brethren. I wanted you to focus your attention on the, the A clause of verse number 32, which is where I'm gonna draw my topic tonight. The A clause of verse number 32, Jesus says to Simon that I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That your faith, your conviction in me, should not fail. That your faith, are you hearing that? Should not fail. I want to talk just very briefly, and I won't be before you long, but I want to talk from the subject stamina. <clears throat> stamina. For those taking notes, stamina is the ability to exert oneself and yet remain active for a very long period of time. Stamina is the ability to resist. It is the ability to withstand. It is the ability to recover. I like this definition of stamina. Stamina is staying power. When you talk about staying power, staying power is when you have the capacity for continuing in something without getting weak. And then here's another definition of stamina. It is having immunity to trauma. That word immunity, anytime you're immune to something, you're resistant to it. Immunity to trauma, wounds, or fatigue. Listen to what Steve Sabal, who's the president of NFL Films, once stated when talking about NFL players and the stamina that NFL players demonstrate. And I'm sure that most of you NFL football fans would appreciate this. I know our pastor most certainly does because for some reason he just loves to see players get hurt and then play. You know, it's like he thinks it's like macho-ness and manliness. But he says of NFL players, he says there are so many definitions of toughness. There's the toughness of getting the wind knocked out of you and the I can't be intimidated, never quit kind of toughness. But then there's the injured toughness, which is no regard for your body and play with broken bones type of toughness. And he was speaking of a player's stamina, a player's ability to be able to play in the game, to play uh, in championships despite the fact that they are wounded. You know, I often marvel at the ability of such athletes who are able to persist in a game. Athletes like Tiger Woods, who won the 2008 U.S. Open, get this, with a broken leg and a torn ACL. The story is told that Tiger, his doctor recommended that he actually skip the tournament because of his injuries, but Tiger Woods said to his doctor, you know, he was very adamant that not only would he play in the tournament, but that he was going to win, and when he did. Then there's athletes like Michael Jordan, and you basketball fans probably can remember Game 5 of the 1997 NBA Finals, where Michael Jordan played in this game, scoring 38 points with the flu as he recalls being interviewed he says that in the middle of the night it was on an off day between game four and game five he became very ill he talked about how he had the shakes and he would wake up sweating profusely and he was so sick that he reported feeling as though he was going to die and they called in the team doctors and they came in and you know they thought maybe he had food poisoning, and and they told Jordan, you know, that there was just no way you can play in this game like this. But the Bulls were competing against the Jazz for the championship, and the Jazz had just won the previous game, and the series was now tied two to two. But you know Jordan, he somehow managed to drag himself up and down the court. He was dehydrated. He was fatigued. You know, he was feeling as though he was going to pass out. And you can go and look at the the tapes and you can see at the end of the first quarter how, you know, he could barely make it and he stumbles to the bench. But it wasn't until the second quarter when the Utah Jazz took a 16-point lead that something happened to Michael. You know, something happened to him physically, something happened to him mentally, something happened to his emotions, and he made his way back on the court because he was so determined that they were gonna win this game. And so he ran harder, and he dumped harder, and he passed harder, and he led his championship, his game, his team to the championship with the flu. And then finally, there's Isaiah Thomas. I'm sure you remember game six of the NBA Finals, of the 1988 NBA Finals, who suffered an ankle injury, but still managed to pull 43 points for the Detroit Pistons. That night, Isaiah Thomas, at the end of the game, finished with a jammed left pinky, a poked eye, a scratched face, a balloon ankle, 43 points, eight assists, six steals, and enough respect to last a lifetime. When I think about stamina, I also think about great athletes of our time, such as Muhammad Ali and Jesse Owens. Are you enjoying this history lesson? (laughs) Muhammad Ali, as you know, was one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time. So much so that by the time his boxing career was over, he was ranked at the top of his Heavyweight class, he was known for his hand and foot speed. As you know, he would taunt his opponents. He uh, described himself as floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. He was known as a powerful puncher. His punches were so powerful that it was said that his jabs could sack an opponent's will. Muhammad Ali punched so hard that that uh, his opponents would actually lose the willpower to even continue fighting. But greater than these, greater than his hand and foot speed, greater than his powerful jab, what Muhammad Ali was known for the most was his reputation as having great stamina. You see, during the era that Muhammad Ali fought, professional title fights often went 15 rounds and Muhammad Ali knew that the only way he could last, we're talking about stamina tonight, the only way that he could last those 15 rounds, the only way he could outlast the punches of his opponents, the only way that he could outlast the jabs of his opponents was that he had to have stamina. So you know what he did whenever he would train? He trained with this in mind and he built his training regimen on running. And so you know what he would do? Ali would, uh, would get up, he would wake up early around 5.30 in the morning and he would run. And he would run. And he would run. Every day he would wake up in the morning and he would run and he ran six miles every day for six weeks. Muhammad Ali had stamina, but not just Muhammad Ali. I mentioned earlier, Jesse Owens, Jesse Owens. I'm taking you way back to the 1930s. Jesse Owens was known in his day as the fastest man in the world. And as an American track and field athlete, he was so fast that they named him the Buckeye Bullet. But there was something interesting about Jesse Owens. Two weeks prior to the 1935 Big Ten Championship, he slipped down in a flight of stairs and he damaged his tailbone. But yet, despite this severe injury, he somehow still managed to enter the Big Ten Championship. And he settled into his crouch for the start of the 100-yard dash And despite this injury, he tied the world record of 9.4 seconds. Jesse Owens had stamina. But if you know anything about Jesse Owens, you also know that he was this great African-American athlete during a time when uh, uh, African-Americans, we were still, this country was still deeply rooted in racism. So he still managed to uphold his reputation of the Buckeye Bullet, despite even uh, having to face discrimination. So how is it that these athletes, both past and present, are able to endure so much? It's stamina, it's staying power, it's the I'm in it to win it mentality. But stamina is not a quality that can only be seen in athletes or other aspects of society. In fact, no better way is stamina seen or displayed than in the life of a Christian. But particularly Christians that have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ and Christians who are currently being persecuted for their faith. These Christians have endured unthinkable, unimaginable torture. I invite you to subscribe to some of the magazines out there that talk about these issues of our brothers and sisters. They have endured unthinkable tortures. They have endured unfair imprisonments where uh, the police and leaderships within their country would do these house raids and just round them up. They've endured months of solitary confinement, burning stories of Christians where an entire family is set ablaze. They have endured drownings where stones are fastened around their necks. And being tied together, the Christian is then thrown into the sea. They have endured beatings, beatings that are so severe that it literally leaves them unconscious, that it literally leaves them without the ability to walk. Families have been separated. The stories of young girls, young boys who, as they normally do, would kiss their mothers and fathers goodbye as they go off to school having no idea that this would be the last time they would see their parents because moments later, the police will come in and raid their homes and carry their parents off to prison. And for what? What was their crime? What is their crime? Their crime is a fervent, unshakable belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the most dangerous places in the world for Christians today is North Korea. North Korea is ranked. And this is very important information for us to know because, you know, let me just pause here. In America, we're, we, we got it made. We have it so made that oftentimes we, we don't realize the price that our brothers and our sisters are paying to lift up the name of Jesus and uphold him in their regions. Right now, North Korea is ranked number one as the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. According to reports, an estimated 24 million people live in North Korea and about 2% or 480,000 of that number are Christians. And today, there are approximately 70,000 Christians, at minimum, that are in consecration camps in North Korea for life. And what are some of the the issues? You know, in, in North Korea, a Christian believer and three generations of his or her family can go to prison, can go to these consecration camps for life just for owning a Bible. Yet we have stores like LifeWay. We have access to all kinds of translations. Not just at Lifeway, but we have Bibles upon Bibles upon Bibles in our own home that we rarely even pick up. But you know what's most interesting about these Christians in these consecration camps is that they see the consecration camps as a mission field. Mm -hmm. For despite the persecution, they're still engaging in discipleship and evangelism. Listen here to what Reverend Eric Foley, who works with these Christians, says about North Korean Christians. He says, despite the intense persecution, North Korean Christians are remaining steadfast in their faith and even sharing it with others. Church family, we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who as we are sitting here tonight in this country, with the liberty to worship Almighty God freely. Freely. We we have no concerns, no worries about the CMPD uh, coming into this church and shutting us down and silencing us. But we have Christians in other parts of the world right now at this very moment, think about this, they're meeting in in underground uh, basements. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting in the woods. Watch this risking not only their lives, but the lives of their families, and they're doing this knowing full well the consequences of their actions should they be found. In nations where unimaginable brutality and persecutions are imposed against Christians, what is it, I ask myself, that makes a Christian man, a Christian woman, a Christian boy, what is it that makes... A Christian girl continue to preach Jesus, continue to pray, continue to evangelize knowing full well the consequences of their actions? The answer is stamina. These Christians have stamina. They have the ability to keep going. The Bible has a lot to say about stamina and its importance in the life of the believer. The Bible uses words like endure. There's a word. Steadfast, continuing. Like how Paul encouraged the saints at Colossians to continue in the faith. Words like pressing on, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, words like Perseverance. The Bible uses phrases like, do not grow weary in well doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. It also uses words like, hold fast, to illustrate the importance of stamina. Now, this is an important lesson for us tonight because the truth is. there are many people who are quite frankly departing from the faith as i was uh, thinking and asking god what is it that i should teach tonight you know originally i was going to teach a lesson on trusting god from psalm 125 and 1 which is one of my favorite scriptures it says those who trust in the lord are like mount zion which cannot be moved but abides forever but the Lord, you know, began to place a burden upon my heart at the number of Christians, said Christians, professed Christians, that are losing stamina in the race, and they're actually dropping out of the race. And I'm not just talking about Christians around the world, but I'm talking about even Christians within our own midst. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 1, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will what? Depart from the faith. (laughs) Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Who are the some in this verse? The some here are people like Judas. People like demons, as the Bible says, he hadn't loved this present world. And people like the false disciples in John chapter 6 and 66. The reason why I call them false disciples because the truth of the matter is, when you're truly saved, you stay with Jesus. Run, run. When you're truly saved and true, truly born again, you don't turn away. No. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 6, Paul mentions those who have strayed away from the faith, but here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he uses the word depart, and the word depart has a stronger meaning than the word stray. The word depart means a purposeful, deliberate departure from the faith. And that's what we're experiencing uh, in the world, in our churches. It's a spiritual defection where people are literally, turning their backs on Christ. They're literally putting Christ, putting their Christianity on the shelf. They're literally throwing in the towel. They're losing their stamina. So tonight as we summarize our lesson on stamina, I want to examine two words associated with stamina as it relates to the Christian life. There are many words, there are many phrases in the Bible that I just shared with you. But for the sake of time, I want to summarize two words as it relates to stamina and as it relates to the Christian life. If you're writing, the first word is endurance. Say it with me, endurance. endurance. Second Timothy 2 and 3 says that we should endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy four and five says, "'But you be watchful in all things and endure afflictions.'" When afflictions come in our life, we don't don't throw in the towel. We don't give up and walk away. The Bible says we are to endure afflictions. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, The Hebrew writer says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. The the Greek word for the word endure means uh, to remain. It is to be steadfast. But watch this, you don't be steadfast until the trial is over. You don't be steadfast so long as everything is going your way. You don't be steadfast so long as God answered every prayer right, in the right, way right. that you thought He should answer it, when He thought you should answer it. But endurance means that you are steadfast. Watch this to the end. To the end. Right. To the end. That's right. That's right. Another definition of the word endurance is to hold fast to one's faith in Christ. Is what Ruth did as she cleaved to Naomi. She held fast. To Naomi, when you are enduring, you're holding fast yeah. to your walk with Christ. Right. Do you sense the urgency in this text? Yeah. What does it mean to endure? To understand the word endurance, I want us to look very briefly at the life of Paul. Because I'm telling you, Paul learned how to endure. The things he went through, by any human measure, was far more severe and far more beyond anything that we could ever go through. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look again at the life of Paul and how he endured. (coughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Listen to how Paul endured. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our what? Of our what? Trouble. We want you to be fully aware, Paul is saying, of everything that we went through, which came to us in Asia. If you know anything about your Bible history, Asia was the place that Paul experienced the majority of all of his trials. He says that we were what? Yes, and the New King James Version says that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. There were times we went through so bad, we was ready to throw up our heads and call it quits. Now I know some of you may say, I can identify with that. I can identify that there have been times when I wanted to throw up my, life, my hands and say I quit. I'm ready to go to glory. But after we read more about what Paul went through, you're going to realize you ain't been there. Wow. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 10. He says, uh, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Skip over to chapter 6 of the same 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 10 of chapter 6. Paul says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making rich. Not only was Paul going through, not only did he despair, but y'all, Paul didn't have anything. He didn't have anything. Let's keep going. Skip up to verse number eight. He says, by honor and dishonor, by evil report, he was a victim of evil report. People falsely accused him. I know how you I know how we do. We got our songs to talk about, how we've been lied on, we've been talked about, and all that. That's not what Paul is talking about. He was a victim of evil report. Let's keep on reading. Chapter 6. Go up to verse number 5. What does he say? In stripes. In imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. He was beat. He was in prison. He had sleepless nights. Raise your hand in here if you was beat, if you've been beaten for the sake of the gospel. Come on. Skip up to number four, same chapter six. But all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much endurance, he says, in tribulation, in needs, in distress. Let's flip over to chapter 7. We're still uh, reading here about everything that Paul went through and how he endured. Chapter 7, verse number 5, he says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We went through so much, we couldn't even sleep. But we were troubled on every side. Outside, uh, conflicts without, conflicts within, everywhere we went, we had to go through. Chapter 4, I know I got you flipping through 2 Corinthians. Flip back to chapter 4, verse number 8. Look at his sufferings. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Struck down, but not destroyed. But look at the conclusion that he comes through in verse number 16 of chapter 4. Paul says, therefore, but we don't lose heart. Do you not see the endurance? Despite the beatings, Paul, despite the the, the whoopings, despite the imprisonment, Paul come to a conclusion, yet we do not lose heart. But you know what? I'm bothered because I'm seeing a lot of believers who are losing heart. They're losing stamina. They're losing their ability to endure. But you know what? It don't stop there. Flip over to uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. I really like this passage. I, I really like this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse number 23, Paul says, Are they a minister of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and labors more abundant and stripes above measure. Paul says, I can't even remember. I've been beat so many times. I can't even remember how many times I've been beat. He says in prison more frequently. Well, Paul is saying I've endured, I've suffered more is what he's telling the Corinthians (coughs) than those that are boasting. He says, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. In other words, I've almost died. I've almost lost my life. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, he says, I was beat on five separate occasions. And on each occasion, I was beat 39 times. That's what that means. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In other words, I've been lost out at sea in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. Can it get any worse? in perils among false brethren, in weariness and tolls, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He says, besides all this, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. In other words, on top of all that I've gone through, I also have to deal with the burden of the church. But my God, Paul then comes to an amazing conclusion. As he comes to the end of his life, having went through every single thing that we just read, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. You know what Paul is saying? Look, y'all, I endured all the way to the end. I never got off track. I never quit. I never went AWOL. I ain't never in my life seen as many believers as I see today that are going AWOL in the middle of the battle. Paul says, I kept the faith. I never deviated from the faith. Paul says, I was faithful to the very last breath. That is what endurance is. Our petty pains, our petty issues, our petty grievances seem so small compared to a life of this, and indeed they are. Think about it, y'all. We give up over the most petty stuff. You're right, you're right. Our marriages end, so we give up on God. We lose our jobs, so we give up on God. Oh, People God. talk about us, so we give up on God. We, we, we come up with all this uh, off the wall uh, perspectives of sin and, 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 um, and holiness and righteousness. So my question tonight is, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Why is it that we cannot endure? Think about it. We ought to feel horrible of how often we give up on God. We ought to feel bad. We should fall down on our knees and repent to God and renew our commitment to him. Another aspect of endurance is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. Jesus says, it is only he that endures to the end. That is the individual that will be saved. It is not your endurance that produces your salvation. It is your endurance that is proof of the reality that you are saved. If you can't endure, you are not saved. But it's your endurance that's going to get you to heaven. Am I the only one in here that's so determined that I'm going to make it? So that's the first word. The second word that uh, relates to stamina is the word run. I really like this one. The word run. In the Bible, the word run or running serves as a common metaphor for the struggle to live out the Christian life. First Corinthians chapter 9 and 24, Paul says, Do you know that those who run in a race all run? but one receives the prize. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, he says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he says to the Galatians, you ran well. What happened? is a rhetorical question that he asked them. What happened? Who did hinder you to keep you from obeying the truth? The Greek word for the word run is it's the basic use refers to those who run in a race. So the the basic meaning, of course, refers to those who run in a race. But to extend that definition much further, run refers to a person in haste. That's what the Christian life is like. It describes a person who is exerting himself. It describes a person who is striving hard, watch this, with the idea of attaining something. And that's exactly what this Christian life is like. We are exerting ourselves, we are running hard with the idea of attaining something. Attaining what? The crown of life. That's our goal, we're running this way race so that we can attain the crown of life that is waiting us in heaven. To understand this word run, As it relates to spiritual stamina, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Are you still with me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us what run with endurance the race that is set before us the first point to observe in this passage is that the christian life and this is going to be real helpful for especially those who have just gotten saved those who have been saved for a long time or those who are just still haven't quite got a, a grasp on what it means to be saved um the christian life is described as a race The Greek word for the word race is agon, A-G-O-N, agon. And it is where we get the word agony. And this gives us some really great insight into what this Christian walk is like because how many of you know in so many ways it is quite agonizing? How many of you know, and for those runners that are in here, whenever you run a race, running in a race is no luxury until you get to the end. And after you've won, that's when the luxury comes in, when you've won and all the, you know, the pictures and the lights, camera, action, and we give you your golden medal. But as you're running in the race, it's no luxury. A race is not a walking apart. And for those of you who exercise in the gym, you may not run in marathons, but you run on treadmills, you know it's no luxury. A race is demanding, a race is grueling, a race is Agonizing. It requires a great degree of self discipline. It requires a great degree of determination. And that's exactly what the Christian life is like. It's agonizing. What do you mean? Well, number one, we're always in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, the rulers of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. We are always fighting. And i don't know about you that's why i really look so forward to heaven because you know in heaven we're not gonna fight isn't that great you know what this is just an aside i can't wait to go i am looking forward to you know how the, the song says We're gonna lay our burdens down by the riverside and then study war no more. It's not until you become uh, born again and you've been living this life for a minute that you understand why they say we're not gonna study war no more, because we're always fighting. That's why the Christian life is so agonizing. Uh, We got to abstain from fleshly lust. We got to constantly mortify the deeds of the flesh. There's a constant war between uh, the spirit and the flesh. Like Paul said, the good I would do, uh, I don't do. That which I want to do, I find myself doing. Um, It's just constant warfare. You know, that's why Jesus said that, you know, to enter into uh, uh, the the broad way is easy, but we have to enter into the narrow way. The narrow way, the the way to heaven is very narrow. It's very narrow. And that's why the Bible says there are few people that enter that way. Because it's an agonizing uh, 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 experience. And another thing that I think is very interesting is he says here that we should lay aside every weight. How many know that you can't run with weights on? And so running with weights also gives us a a, a clue as to understand why it's so hard to run this race. Because every now and again, there are sins, there are weights of sin that like to attach themselves to our ankles, to our legs, that slows us down. But the race is very agonizing. Another interesting note about this word race is it doesn't refer to sprinting. Right, right? You see, there are a lot of 100-yard dash Christians, short-distance Christians. You know, they start off, they can run now, but they can't, they can't run, they can't endure. So they just flop out. No, this, this word race doesn't refer to sprinting. Um, this is not the type of race that the Hebrew writer is referring to. This is the, the type of race that he's referring to is a marathon. And that's exactly what uh, the Christian life is like. It's it's a marathon. Not only is this race a marathon, but it's one that must be ran with endurance. He says here, let us run with endurance, or your your translation may say with patience. And the word patience means endurance, and it means this is going to be a long race. The Bible, you know, you need patience for things that's going to take a while right right and so this is going to be a long race and you know whenever you're in the race how many of you know you got to keep on going yeah. see that's the problem we don't endure that's what that's what this message is all about this is what it's all about we got too many believers you know and maybe this is one of those messages that you know the some smelling salt messages to kind of bring us you know awaken us up a little bit we got a problem We don't endure, we're not enduring. But anytime you are in a race, you have to keep going. Watch this, even when everything in you wants to slow down. You gotta keep going even when everything in you wants to quit. You have to keep going even when everything in you wants to stop. Even when everything in you wants to throw in the towel. I remember watching the Olympics track and field, and I I love watching the Olympics track and field, and I always observed during the race how most of the runners, they start off so good. I mean, they are running, they're doing very well, but I can remember as the race continues and requires more speed, I can remember observing how some of the runners appear to be slowing down, you know? And and this is exactly how many Christians live live their life. They start out fast, but as the race goes on, as trials come, as the pruning process takes place, you know how, how the Bible says that God prunes us so that we could bear more fruit. They begin to slow down. And what does this slowing down look like? It's it's when uh, you don't see them as often in church anymore. It's it's when they begin to lose their uh, interest and desire in the things of God. Uh, It's when they they, they start out fast, but as the race goes on, they they slow down, they give up, and then eventually they just drop out of the race together. Let me tell you, y'all, that is a tragedy. This is the exact problem that the Galatians had. That's why Paul said, you ran well, what hinders you? It's a rhetorical question. And I want to ask everybody tonight, what is slowing you down? What is hindering you from enduring? The second point of observation in this Hebrews chapter 12 is the cloud of witnesses. He says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, these are not saints that have gone on. It is saints that have gone on, but they're not in glory waving us on. Y'all, hey, y'all can do it. Come on. You know, because, you know, i never forget our pastor taught a message about heaven, and he said, heaven is not heaven if our loved ones that have gone to heaven can look down and see us hurting. That ain't heaven, because then they would hurt, right? They would be all sad seeing us hurt. But, but what are these calls of witnesses? The clouds of witnesses are the faithful state saints that are mentioned in the previous chapter 11. These are the believers from the past. And, and the reason why Paul mentions or the Hebrew writer mentions them, is that they are mentioned as a source of encouragement to us. They are mentioned as a source of motivation to us. A motivation to do what? To run. Right? And I invite you, on, for the sake of time, to go through and read uh, uh, the, the faith of these. You know, I could point some out. Uh, Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she uh, had received the spies. And I, I like how it ends. He says um, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they were they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens, in caves. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, watch this, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made. You know what kept these saints going? This, this is just, I, If it, it may not be blowing y'all's mind like it is for me. What kept these saints going is they had the promise of heaven. Amen. I'm going to tell you, as long as I get the glory, I don't care what I go through on this side. As long as I get it, and when I get into glory, I want to find the first, I'm going you this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna find the first dance floor. Sister Maria, you know about the dance floor of Rome. I hope they got one in glory. I'm gonna find the first dance floor and I'm telling y'all, I'm gonna shout my troubles over. As long as I get to glory, I don't care what I go through. I don't care what's taken away in my life. That's what kept the saints going. They knew how to endure. Glory to God. You know what the Hebrew writer is saying to us? He says, you see how they ran? You see how they endured? You see how they were determined to make it? You run just like that. That's what that passage means. You run just like they did. You ain't do it. That's why they are a cloud of witnesses because what they're witnessing is uh, that you can overcome. You can keep believing. That's the witness. Despite what you're going through, you can always keep believing. You can always keep trusting. You can never give up. And they're witnesses that God is faithful. And, and, and I got 12 minutes. And these are the exact principles of stamina that Jesus prayed for in our text, in Peter and the disciples. So we're gonna to go to, back to our text in Luke chapter 22. And I'm gonna wrap this up. Luke chapter 22, verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Here, what's so interesting about this text is what we can see, this this was true for, for Peter, this was true for the other disciples, and this is true for every, watch this, born-again, true child of God. This isn't true for, for people who are on the fence that Satan already got. But what we see in this text is a battle that is going on, that is raging for Peter and the disciples' So I want you to know, every born-again, true disciple of Jesus Christ there is a battle, you got to notice that is raging for your soul. So there are four observations that I would like to share with you from this particular text that I know will be very beneficial for us in our walk with the Lord and then we will be done. <clears throat> the first observation is observe that God is warning us. Make it personal. God is warning me. You can just say that. God is warning me. Uh, notice there's an exclamation point. And, and an exclamation point really it indicates a sense of shock, a sense of surprise, a sense of warning. Jesus even calls his name twice. So that lets us know that, that this is serious. And so the first observation that we notice in this text is that this is a warning. This is a warning of caution. Tonight's message is a warning of caution. And how many know Anytime the Bible warns us about anything, it's imperative that we what? Take heed. Um, Jesus right here, he, he's saying uh, to, to, to Simon in so many words, Simon, I'm getting ready to tell you something and this is very serious, and Simon, I'm not shucking and driving right now. I'm very serious. You know, um, the Bible in First Peter five and eight warns us there are so many warnings in the Bible, but it warns us about Satan, and it says that we should be sober, that we should be vigilant, because he's our adversary, and he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How many of you know that when Peter, through the Holy Spirit, wrote that in First Peter, Peter wasn't joking. And it is important for me to to, uh, say this because oftentimes when preaching is going forth, whether it's our pastor or another man or woman of God, we, a lot of times, we think they're playing. Right. Right. Right? Right? You know, it reminds me in Genesis chapter 19 when the angels warn Lot, hey, get out. Um, uh, the Lord is getting ready to destroy this city. What did the Bible say Lot's sons did? They thought Lot and the angels were shugging and driving. driving. The Bible says that they laughed. Ha, 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 whatever. You know, and that's the same mentality that people had when the word is going forth, right? And you know what happened to him? To them, they died. They were destroyed right there in Solomon. You know, it, it, it reminds me of uh, the five wise and the five foolish versions. You know, the foolish versions. They, they, they thought, they, they thought that, uh, the warning, they thought they were shucking and driving. Jiving. Right. I like that phrase, shucking and yeah. driving. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> everyone in hell and everybody that, that will go to hell, they're going to be in hell, you know why? Because they thought God was playing. Right. Everybody in hell right now, their sin is they thought God was playing. Right. You know, so the first observation here is that this is a warning and that we have to take heed. This is no joke. This is, no, this is a very serious matter. The second observation in our text is that Satan wants to have you. And again, I'm not talking to those individuals who are, you know, on the fence. They, you know, they're just not even really saved anyway. Satan already got you. You know, it's like Judas. How did Satan just... How could he just, the Bible says, this is phenomenal. he entered into Judas. How did he just have this free reign that he already had Judas? You know how we know? Because the Bible says all alone Judas was helping himself to the purse. He was a thief all alone. Satan already had him. But, but Satan, you know, he wanted he wanted Peter. You know, Peter, he was the leader of the group. It was Peter who was the one that would speak up for the group. When Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? It was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? Right? He wanted Peter, you know, because he knew if I get Peter, I get the rest of them. You know, he, he knew that Peter had spent all these three years with Jesus, man, there's no way in the world I'm going to sit up here, just sit back and not let him uh, uh, just take off and spread this kingdom of heaven like this. He wanted Peter. You know what's interesting about this word, you? The word is plural. He didn't just want Peter, but he wanted all the other disciples. The Bible says that he has asked for you. He has asked desired you he has demanded of you he has begged of you let me tell you something about satan satan does not waste his time with people that are not important to him you are important to satan in that you are a threat to satan let me tell you something about pastor and i we know we we know that that we are important to satan you know why because we're threatening him. So you know what we do? We obey the Bible. The Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices. So you know what we do? We keep our home intact. Our home is intact. Right? 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 We keep our home intact. We we walk in the spirit because we know that Satan wants us. Right? Right? So Satan doesn't waste his time with people who aren't worth his time. But the interesting thing about this is that uh, Satan had to ask permission. That's, what, that's what's so wonderful about this so uh, that lets us know that he can't do anything to us that god doesn't allow him to do the third point is uh the third observation reveals to us satan's desire and that is that he desires to sift us as wheat when you do your studies of the sifting process the sifting process is kind of like this this violent process where you know the weed is thrown up in the air, and um, and it's just it's just this kind of violent process where the the good is separated from the bad. And so what Satan desires for those of us who are who are truly saved, he desires to to cut out the good wow. in us and to leave the bad, right? And so this is uh, an important truth that we really need to. Wrap our minds around this whole sifting parts, process because a part of serving God, a part of running the Christian life, is that at times we have to be sifted. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that's something that a lot of times we um, we fail to uh, under uh, not understand. A better way of understanding what it means to be sifted is to uh, basically what it's saying is you have to face the devil. Right? That's basically what it's saying. So there are times in which God deliberately allows Satan to work on us, allowing us to go through and experience things that are difficult, that are challenging to our faith, challenging to our strength, even challenging to the very core of who we are. And this is what it means to be sifted. Let me give you an example of this. The most obvious example of this is in the Bible of our Lord uh, himself. In the Bible is of our Lord himself. Jesus here is anointed of God. He, had lived, he lived a spotless life. He's full of the Holy Ghost, and, and he was baptized by John. And You know what the Bible says as he's coming out of the water. A dove descended upon him, and the Lord said, This is my son, who I'm well pleased. But if you read that text, the first order of business was for Jesus to go into the wilderness. That was the first order of business. This was a course that God the Father had deliberately set before him. The Bible says that the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be sifted. Jesus was sifted. Yet he remained fixed and confident in what God had said. The fourth observation is, the fourth and final observation reveals to us Satan's intent behind the trials. Now, let me just pause here and say not everyone is going through because they're being sifted so i don't want everybody you know anybody just to walk away and think oh i'm going through because satan is sifting me for some people you're going through because you're in disobedience it is very important that that i i mention that because you want to know why you're going through All right, so you know whether or not you're being sifted, all right? So the fourth and final observation reveals to us Satan's intent and the purpose behind the sifting, and that is that he wants our faith to fail. Now, when I say faith, I'm not just referring to our faith to believe God, to bless us with a job, right? That is true, but it's deeper than that. I'm not just talking about our faith that, you know, we just we just believe in god to answer this particular prayer that we have on the altar that's not what i'm talking about it goes so much deeper than that but by faith we're referring to our convictions as it relates to the christian doctrine and and and, and what satan wants is he wants that faith to fail you know what's interesting about that word fail? That word, fail, is used to describe the failing of the human body that leads to death. That, um, and if you need to stop the tape, you can. That's fine. I'm almost done because it's 22 seconds left. Um, That word, fail, is used to describe um, organs that just quit.